So most people know that Steve Jobs was kicked out of Apple when he was 30 years old. Uh, but less people know about the origin story of how he found Pixar in Industrial Light and Magic and then went on to bet heavily on it, um, including most basically most of his net worth. I thought this story was super interesting as well as just the sheer amount of self-doubt that must have gone through him and for him to stick to his principles and see it through. So let's go to this idea that our strengths and weaknesses are constantly there. They complement each other. They work off each other. Our successes and failures do the same. If you really think about what's taking place, he's, at this point in the story, he's all, all for all intents and purposes, going to get kicked out of Apple. And it goes back to this idea that if you go to sleep on a win, you'll wake up with a loss. After the initial success with the Apple II, think about this. Steve, probably the greatest entrepreneur ever live, is going to have three commercial failures in a row. The Apple III, the Lisa, and the Macintosh. Now, the Macintosh... Obviously, is like one of the most beloved computers, but commercially successful. Like the uh, the huge launch they did around it, the sales start off really, really great, and then they quickly peter out to the point. I think this book makes the point where, a few years even after this, the Apple II is still responsible for something like seventy or eighty percent of all of Apple's revenue. So think about it. you can have a massive success, then you can have three straight failures, but even at the same time that he's having three straight failures. He is right about this. This is where he discovers hidden in George Lucas's Lucasfilm division is what's going to eventually become Pixar. Pixar is what makes Steve Jobs a billionaire. The entire unbelievable, unpredictable journey of how he goes from almost spending his last dollar on Pixar. When he leaves Apple, he has like $70 million. He puts 50 of it into Pixar over time and they're still losing money before they do Toy Story. I, I did this entire podcast on this because the first CFO, the guy that Steve recruited, he wrote a book about the history of Pixar, which is fascinating. It's episode 235 if you haven't um, listened to that. I would go back. We could, that's almost like another Steve Jobs episode because he's obviously a main character in there. But just the level of persistence is just unbelievable. So uh, I, I don't want to get distracted, though. The point I'm trying to make here is in the middle of failure after failure after failure is one of his greatest successes. He just didn't know it at the time. So he visits the graphics group, which is what Lucas's division is called. They're going to be renamed Pixar. And he realizes, oh, these are, these are the best in the world at what they're doing. Apple should buy them. At this point, he didn't have any sway with the board. He's just about to get kicked out. So they're like, no, Steve, we're not buying them. Uh, he visited the graphics group made up of leading-edge computer graphic technicians who were working for film director George Lucas and began to think that the possibilities for computers with high-end 3D graphics images were limitless. This is in the 80s. This is happening. So he suggested that the Apple board might want to consider buying the group. These guys were way ahead of us on graphics. Way ahead, Steve said. They were way, way, way ahead of anybody. I just knew in my bones that this was going to be very important. The board was not paying much attention to Steve anymore, and they passed on acquiring what would eventually become known as Pixar. So he gets fired. He goes into a deep, deep depression. This is incredibly important for you and I to realize the ups and downs of life never end until we die. And especially for entrepreneurs, because this entrepreneurial emo emotional roller coaster, the best term I've ever heard about this comes from Mark Andreessen, where he's like, listen, if you're building a company, you only experience two emotions. And they're almost like there's like a bipolarness to this. It's euphoria and terror. We are in the terror part of Steve Jobs' story. You have one of the most aggressive, driven people that have ever lived, and he's completely lost. He's thinking about leaving the computer industry forever, retiring and being an artist in Europe. For a while, he behaved more like a retiree than one of the world's most highly driven 30-year-olds. He just wasn't ready. He did not have the skill set yet to, to be able to not only found a great company, but to lead a great company. 
He was a slave to so much else, to his celebrity, to his unbalanced and obsessive desire for perfection, to his managerial flightiness, to his shortcomings as an analyst of his own industry, to his burning need for revenge, and the most important part, to his own blindness of his faults. At 30 years old, Steve Jobs wasn't ready. And why is that important for you and I to remind ourselves of that? Because in this industry, there's like this entrepreneurial industry that gives into this myth that you have these like young 20-something-year-old geniuses that start a company and can do it for a long time and, and they just intuitively get it. You and I know. How many biographies of, in the history of entrepreneurship have we gone over? I can't think of an example where the younger version of the entrepreneur is better than the older version. That doesn't mean you can't have success as a young person. It doesn't mean, obviously, you can't start a company. You can manage. You can, keep, you can do it for decade after decade. But if all these entrepreneurs, if we, could, if we could dig them up from their grave and ask them, at what point in history did you think, at one point in your life, do you think you were the, 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 the peak of your powers, the best? They're not going to say when I was 20, when I was 25, when I was 30. A main theme of this podcast that is rooted in like my subconscious now is that time carries most of the weight. And in nearly every case, you could have a 40 or 50-year-old version of the entrepreneurs you and I study. And if they, we were able to have them do a one-on-one -on -one battle for their 20 or 25-year-old version of themselves, they would kick the living shit out of them. The 45-year-old version of Steve Jobs could take 10 of the 25-year-old versions of Steve Jobs. And the reason I bring this up is because I talk to founders all the time. And someone's like, oh, I'm 30, I'm 35, I haven't achieved what I, what I, what I thought I would at this age. Or, oh, it's too late. Bullshit. If you're in that spot, just keep going. People that are learning machines and they refuse to quit are incredibly hard to beat. Steve Jobs was a learning machine who refused to quit. And in this book that I hold in my hand right now, you have a 30-year-old Steve Jobs saying, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I am broken hearted. But that feeling passed. He got up, dusted himself off, said, okay, you win the first fight. Now best two out of three. David Senra, who's the host of this Founders Podcast that we've been listening to, he made this really interesting observation that essentially at 30, Steve Jobs made the only two decisions that he needed to make for the rest of his life. So one, he bet big on Pixar, which is going to make him a billionaire. And two, he bet big on Next, which is going to return him back to Apple. Um, and yeah, like at his lowest point, he was making all these decisions. Um, and it's the two that really mattered. And he just had that sheer amount of confidence and saw the right principles to make it happen.